and welcome to History is Gay, a podcast that examines the underappreciated and overlooked queer ladies, gents, and gentle envies that have always been there in the unexplored corners of history, because history has never been as straight as you think. My name is Gretchen, and here with me and my fellow co-host is Lee. Hello! In this episode, the first episode of our podcast, we are going to be talking about queer pirates! Queer pirates! Yes, we've been really excited about bringing this up. I'm very excited to get into some of these people. Um, I know, they're awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the way this goes is we're going to introduce you to some people from history that we think are really awesome. Uh, We're going to start out with a brief bio of each of those people, and then we'll kind of transition into a discussion about evidence that they may not have been quite as straight as some people would assume. And then we'll end the podcast with kind of a how gay were they, our personal rankings, and how likely it is that they weren't straight. Sound good? Yeah? Great. Cool. All right. So, uh, Gretchen, who who are we talking about in this inaugural episode? Well, we had originally planned on doing a whole thing about queer pirates and sailors and only to get into the history and realize that there are a lot, actually a lot more than we could do in a single episode unless you wanted to listen to us talk for three hours in a row. Um, (laughs) So so specifically today, we are going to talk about Anne Bonny, Mary Reed, Calico Jack Rackham, and Pierre the Pansy Pirate. Some of you may be wondering about the title of this episode, uh, Were Some Pirates Poofters? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very special to us. Um, right. Yeah, uh, so when we, were, when we were first thinking about doing this episode, we started into our research and we found an article, one of the first articles that we found that had were some pirates poofters as the episode title or as the uh article title and we laughed for a good 30 seconds i think um right before moving on and deciding in that exact moment that should we make this the episode title yes yes i do think we should yeah we should (laughs) (laughs) we are going to be talking about as i said these four characters and they are all uh not characters they're human beings um, I'm just thinking Black Sails, I guess, because they are, they all appear as characters in Black Sails, um, which is an awesome show. You should watch it. These are all people who were pirates during what we call the Golden Age of Piracy, which is the 17th to 18th century in the Caribbean. And just to be clear, these are all British pirates, both English and Irish. We do have some really awesome information about pirates in the South China Seas that we really want to get to in another podcast. We just couldn't fit it in here. So stay tuned for that. There's some really, really cool information and interesting characters there as well. Lee, why don't you tell us where a lot of this comes from? Yeah, so um, a lot of the histories of this specific trio and, you know, a little bit of addition of, of Pierre, this quartet of pirates, comes from one book that a lot of historians will reference. It's called A General History of the Pirates by a Captain Johnson, who a lot of people have over the years claimed is is Daniel Defoe, uh, aka the author of Robinson Crusoe. Um, There's a lot of other resources and books that we're going to be referencing. And on our website, 
we're going to have all of those things linked and we'll also have it linked in the podcast description. So if you want to read more about these folks, that's where you can go. Um, it's also um, it's, it's important to say that there's a lot of debate and controversy over the historical accuracy of this document. Some people have accused Captain Johnson of editorializing a little bit about these folks, um, but we're going to treat it as close to a piece of source material as we can get because it's basically one of the only things we have other than like court documents from these folks. Right, right. It seems legitimate to us as people who have studied history um, in various ways that this is may not be a primary, primary source document, but given that Captain Johnson often references, he does reference like court proceedings and eyewitness testimony, that it seems as though he is getting his information uh, from primary source documents. And I feel more comfortable trusting someone who may be a secondhand source of primary source documents than, you know, than not. Seems like he he probably has a good read on things given that he... um lived not that long after a lot of these people did so yeah we're treating it as a as a a viable source yeah yeah and this this book was published in seven i think it was 1724 which we'll we'll get into um but it's shortly after all of these folks went on trial for their various piratical acts right so it's it's fairly close to the time period in which we're talking about in terms of sources so yeah let's get into it why don't we start with our favorite Oh, you mean Anne Bonny, the most yes. savage, savage lady on the seven seas, as I like to oh call her? Gosh. Oh my gosh, this lady, guys. It's like, even just her as a human being is, ugh, she is like badass. Can badass. I go back like 400 years and marry a pirate? Because I want to do that with Anne Bonny. <laughs> um, so Anne Bonny. That's legit. <laughs> uh, Anne Bonny was born 1702 in Cork, Ireland. Uh, she was born as Anne Cormick. And she died in 1782. Uh, She was an illegitimate child raised as a boy or tomboy, disguised as a boy, and moved to South Carolina in her childhood. And uh, she actually ended up being familiar with seafaring and piracy through her father's trade. They would spend a lot of time on the waterfronts. And then when her mother died, when she was 15 years old, she actually became the head of her father's household. And soon after that, she married a poor sailor specifically to spite her father, and then left her husband to join a a Captain Jennings and his mistress. And soon after that, she got bored again. You might (laughs) be noticing a little bit of a pattern. Um, And shortly after that, she left both of them for uh, Jack Rackham's crew in the Caribbean. Uh, So that's like a very, very brief kind of history of what was going on, who she was before meeting up with our other friends. Gretchen, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about Um, according to according to Captain Johnson? She was a, quote, strapping and boisterous girl of a fierce and courageous temper, unquote. And that just like tells you everything you need to know. She's strapping and boisterous. We actually have quite a few details about some of her uh, what I call or what we call her. uh rather violent exploits. A lot of these took place actually before she became a pirate, so it kind of gives you an idea that, like, she wasn't this, like, pure maidenly girl who was corrupted into becoming a pirate. Like, she was kind of always... She was always a little bit, uh, bold. (laughs) Strapping uh, and boisterous. Strapping and boisterous. It might be be an understatement. Uh, (gasps) She started out her, her life as a young child by stabbing a servant maid on her father's plantation. 
is is yep. one of her greatest hits. Uh, she beat a would-be rapist with a chair until he was ill a considerable amount of time. Apparently, he was making advances that she uh, disapproved of, and when he wouldn't stop, she just, like, beat him. Just beat him over the head with a chair. Yep. Relatable. So. <laughs> um, I have wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when she left uh, her father's plantation with her poor sailor, um, her father was not very excited. He wanted to marry her off and he wanted to continue the family wealth. Um, and so he disowned her. Uh, he, quote, turned her out of doors. And in revenge, she burned down her father's plantation. As you do. As you do. Um, and then was basically, like, wanted for the murder of her father. So she, she started out, she was on a roll. Right, right. Uh, one of my favorites is that she used her sword at one point to publicly undress her fencing instructor. She was so skilled with her sword. And to me, it's like, even if that's an embellishment, I don't care. I, lo- I love the idea of that. It's one of my favorite images in researching all of these people. It's very cinematic. Like, I can imagine that playing out on a screen if I were to watch it. That'd be awesome. So, her exploits didn't just last before... She became a pirate. She has a couple early on in her career after she met Jack, which I think we'll mention these things and then transition to talking about uh, Calico Jack Rackham. But when early on in her, after she became a pirate, Jack Rackham offered to buy her a divorce from her husband. Was it John Bonnie? Jack? John, Jack. I, look, we, James, we, all, we all know who we're here for. James. James Bonnie. I think, it, yeah, James Bonnie. So Rackham offered to purchase her divorce. Oh, backtrack a little bit. James had had her, like, stripped naked and taken to, like, before the governor of New Providence, which is Jamaica, and, you know, said that she was basically, she was cheating on him and she needed to be punished. So Jack Rackham was like, okay, I'll buy your, I'll buy you a divorce. Basically, I'll, I'll buy you from James Bonney. And Anne Bonney's response was that she refused to be sold like an animal. Like, honey, honey, I, I feel that. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, she also, once uh, once she was roaming around with Jack, she ended up becoming his second in command on the ship by shooting a guy whose, quote, attentions were becoming obnoxious to her, end quote. Um, so she wasn't afraid to kind of push her weight around. Um, she kicked Jack out of his own captain's quarters and then took them for herself. You know, good way to hide being a woman, but also just a good way to make yourself the de facto captain of a ship uh, as close as you could get. Uh, She also, she and Jack Rackham had a baby together, and apparently she went to Cuba and had her baby and then left her baby in the care of others because she was, she wanted to keep being a pirate. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times you'll see with these folks that there's, there's arguments that like, oh, these women were prompted to go to sea and become pirates because of love affairs. But um, the evidence suggests that most of them who went to sea disguised as men, they did it for various economic reasons or they just wanted to escape things. And you could tell from Anne Bonny, like she was never quite exactly satisfied and she was always moving around. Right. That it may be that her relationship with her first husband, James Bonny, might have you know, prompted her to leave the shore specifically, but it 
looks more, but she left him behind very soon afterward. And it doesn't look like she went to see for James or stayed a pirate for James Bonnie or even for Jack Rackham. Yeah. And with other women that we've, that we researched it. Yeah. It seems to be similar that it's not necessarily about, oh, I just, you know, my husband's a sailor or, you know, the man that I love, you know, was captured by pirates. So I need to find him that that those. There may be a level of truth, and that's also a very convenient way to escape to sea and then not come back for years at a time, because it can take a long time to find someone on the big, giant oceans of the world. How convenient that is. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't come back. And speaking of finding somebody uh, on the big, wide oceans, uh, I guess that'll bring us to Calico Jack Rackham, right? Yes. Not much is known of Calico Jack Rackham's early life. We know that he was born sometime around 1682 and died in 1720. He was the second in command to a Captain Charles Vane, also a pirate. And while on a raid uh, of a much larger French man-of-war, Vane commanded the retreat out of caution. Um, Vane didn't want to get into a fight with a much larger ship, which is fair, but Rackham um, argued that they the crew needed to take the ship uh, and that the captain's decision. Oh, but like Charles Vane was captain. So his decision was final and the ship fled shortly thereafter. Um, Rackham called for a vote of no confidence in captain Charles Vane and took over, but he wasn't. What's interesting to me about Calico Jack Rackham is he doesn't seem to be very vindictive, even though he took over from captain Charles Vane he actually supplied Vane and Vane supporters well. Like, he gave them a boat and supplies. Uh, when he kicked them off, he didn't just, like, throw them into the, the ocean. So despite kind of the image of, I think, cruel and bloodthirsty pirates, there's, I mean, evidence that at least some of them were, you know, they weren't quite so, like, cruel and bloodthirsty as maybe we think of them as. Other information about Jack Rackham, he... This is, I love this story. So he tricked a Spanish ship out of their warship. The warship had been sent to patrol in the area in the Caribbean for pirates. And Jack Rackham and his crew attacked at low tide in under the cover of nightfall. And then once they had defeated the Spanish on their warship, they actually turned the cannons on their own ship to make it look like they were actually the Spanish who were firing on the pirate ship that was now empty and then escaped with their brand new man of war. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's basically, it's, it's a, it's like a weird Trojan horse on the sea kind of level of scheming. Right. Um, There is some speculation that part of the reason we include Jack Rack among this crew is because he was, very close with Anne Bonny and um, Mary Reed and Pierre, who we're going to talk about. But part of it is that there are some there is some speculation that Jack and Vane might have been more than just a captain and second. But we'll get to that in our in our next section where we talk about um, evidence for and against straightness. So Jack Rackham met up with Anne Bonny uh, around 1719, and shortly thereafter they were much in the company of. Pierre Bouspay, a.k.a. Pierre the Pansy Pirate. We're not making that up. No, we're not. No. That's actually what he's called. That's his name, you guys. That was his name. He ran a coffee shop. He did hairdressing. He had a dressmaking shop. I mean, <laughs> what else is... I mean, I don't want to, like, 
rooted in stereotypes, but... But stereotypes typically exist because there's a grain of truth. And yes. This, this feels like one of those situations. Especially because the word, the term pansy was not, like, bandied about back... You know, like, it, pansy has a very specific connotation in the time period in which these people would have existed. Like, you don't just call someone a pansy. Like, nowadays, you can say pansy, and it typically means, like, a coward. You know, like a... But back in the day, pansy didn't really mean that. Yeah, pansy Pan- had a very, very specific type of meaning. Right. That that maybe you were a man who liked men. <laughs> just maybe. A little bit. Just maybe. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so before we move on to Mary Reed, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the adventures of Anne, Jack, and Pierre, or as, as Gretchen deemed them, the drama pirates. These guys were so extra, you guys. <laughs> this, this, this is the most extra trio ever. Um, so they had a lot of adventure, adventures before Mary Reed came along. Um, so Anne and Rackham and Bouspay had a very dramatic... See, this is my this is my favorite story, right? Like, you have your, your Spanish warship, and I have yep. this c- crazy batshit plan. It's um, such a great story. Where they, they had a very dramatic and theatrical privateering raid. So they stole a boat, and they went and covered the entire thing and themselves in turtle blood. Where did they get that much turtle blood? I don't know. I don't know. Did, look, Pierre was a man of many talents. Maybe <laughs> he, he had a weird turtle farm somewhere. I don't know. Um, but so they like covered their, themselves in turtle blood. They put up one of Pierre's dressmaker dummies dressed in women's clothing. And they made it appear like Anne was standing over it, having massacred it like with a blood-soaked axe, like this crazy lady standing over this dummy, hacking it away. Yep. And another ship passes by, sees this, and gets so freaked out that they just end up giving all of their cargo to the pirates without a fight, right? They're, like, coming upon this ship being like, oh, okay, let's see what this situation is. And then when all the pirates come up and say, hey, we'd like to take over all of your cargo, they just went, yeah, no, seems okay. Yeah, seems yeah. seems good. Yeah, here, y'all here, are, take, this and, take this and go. Y'all are a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just like that they went to the effect of, hey, I know what we can do. We can just make it look like a creepy, bloody murder scene. Right. And I feel like it's very telling that, that Anne was the, the one with the bloody axe. Oh, yeah. No. I, I see her being totally into that. Like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, cover me in turtle blood and give me a bloody axe. Can I ship Anne, Bonnie, and Lizzie Borden? Is that a thing? <laughs> I mean, I know they're like... Totally different time periods, but I did think of Lizzie Borden while you were talking. In my head, I was hearing that like Lizzie Borden took an axe, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, <laughs> come on, it's we gotta uh, we gotta have our axe wielding crazy queer murder ladies together. Oh my gosh, they would destroy the world. Yes. Oh man, somebody read that. Way. Somebody read that fic. Yes. <laughs> People. So history side of Tumblr. Those of you who are into writing historical fiction slash alternate universes. Here you go. Anne Bonnie and Lizzie Borden. Let this be your plot bunnies. Let them breathe. Fun. <laughs> um but like Anne and Calico Jack were I mean, that wasn't the only time that they were just kind of spat in the face of convention. <laughs> I feel like they're just like, whatever, we don't give a fuck. Oh yeah, fair warning. We we say swears. Yeah. We we will say the swears. <laughs> 
because honestly because i can't help myself would you say we curse like sailors yes oh good we're salty we're salty like sailors oh my gosh it's just gonna happen um (laughs) all right so yeah so and bonnie and calico jack they had accepted an offer of a king's pardon to reform this was a thing in the early 18th century that the king of england sent out a proclamation that any pirates who turned themselves in and promised to be good boys and girls though he probably didn't know that to be good citizens of the british empire could have all of their crimes erased as long as they agreed to never be pirates ever ever again so Anne bonnie and calico jack had i believe a bounty on her head at that point and decided like that sounds cool and oh yeah and part of it was that Anne got a pardon for the murder of her father and so they returned to new providence and signed accepted the king's pardon signed their paperwork or whatever and once they got out of port they promptly mutinied against any of the people on their crew who didn't want to keep being pirates and said just kidding guys (laughs) we're still pirates We love piracy. We love it so much. Just kidding. You can take your pardon and shove it. They were the ringleaders. They really, really were. Totally were. And on this ship is where they met Mary Reed. Would you like to tell us about Mary Reed? I would like to tell us about Mary Reed. Uh, So Mary Reed, (laughs) this is like inside the actor's studio, Mary Reed. Um, Yeah, so she was born around 1690, died 721. And look, she was also an illegitimate child raised as a boy. Mm. What? It's almost as if gender conventions did some weird stuff. Right? That ended up having people go to see. <laughs> Something about, like, being illegitimate, not being able to inherit land, blah, 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 all that fun. Woo, patriarchy's great stuff um but yeah so she was raised as a boy uh she actually ended up working as a cabin boy her mother actually um she had a son that died very young and then what she ended up doing was she disguised mary as her brother and raised her as her brother and brought her around to i think some some family members where she i believe it was the mother-in-law that like the mother-in-law yes she had had a son and then the boy died in infancy and then she had an affair um which resulted in mary's birth and so what mary's mother did was say oh no 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 this is the baby i had with my husband this is little mark um the son that i had with my husband please continue to support me financially so yeah uh, she continued passing as a man through being hired out as a footboy. Uh, she enlisted as a cabin boy on a warship, and she continued to go by the alias Mark. Um, she enjoyed the freedom and opportunities of presenting masculinely, um, got a lot of things out of it she wouldn't have been able to mm-hmm. do had she been raised as a woman. Uh, she ended up marrying a man and starting an inn with him, uh, he actually was a fellow soldier, um, so she she enlisted on the on the warship, and she fell in love with a man after she revealed that she was a woman, and they opened an inn together. They decided to leave their life uh, life at sea. They opened up the Three Horseshoes Inn, but uh, 
you know, nothing could really stop Mary from going back to sea. Her husband died, and because it was peacetime and there were a lack of customers, she didn't really have any reason to stay. And so she again donned men's clothing and signed on to a on a Dutch merchantman as Mark Reed. And then the ship was captured by none other than our friends Anne Bonnie and Calico Jack. So we will get into Marion and and Jack's interactions in our next section. So uh, for now, we're going to finish up their bio and we'll talk about um, kind of how they ended their life. And then we'll backtrack and, and talk about all the good stuff about Marion and and all that. So what year was this? 1721. The bounty hunter Jonathan Barnett led a surprise attack on jack and Anne's ship and all but the lady folk so Anne, bonnie and mary reed fled below deck they remained topside and were quote howling like banshees the two women flew at the sailors so they attacked the people who were attacking them just the two of them took them on two ladies against the world man yes um, yes uh mary drew two pistols and yelled down at the pirates into um into the below of the ship and she yelled at them to, quote, come up and fight like men uh, when they did not because they were cowards. She shot down into the hatch. <laughs> she killed one of them and injured a whole bunch of the others. Oh, These ladies Anne. were not messing around. No. Nope. They're my favorites. Nope. And actually, the night before, so they were all convicted of piracy. Um, and Jack, the night before he was scheduled to be executed, um, and he was actually executed. But so the night before that, she actually supposedly told him that if he had fought like a man, he would not have been hanged like a dog. And we have here in our notes, hashtag stone cold bitch. Cause. Yeah. Uh, at their trial for piracy, um, one of the witnesses against them was a woman who we thought this was really interesting, who testified that they, quote, wore men's jackets and long trousers and handkerchiefs tied about their heads, and that each of them had a machete and pistol in their hands. They cursed and swore at the men. And the deponent further said that her reason for her knowing and believing them to be women was by the largeness of their breasts. Hashtag so nice. Hashtag nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's they, you know, they were disguised as men, but they kind of went around not really caring who knew. They weren't hiding it that much. Um, it was, you know, really kind of a, a, a means to an end so that they could do what they wanted to do. Right. Um, so as I mentioned, Jack was convicted of piracy and he was hanged. Um, Anne and Mary were also convicted of piracy alongside the rest of the men on the crew, but they pled their bellies, which in, it's a colloquial term for saying, I'm pregnant, don't kill me. And Mary died in jail of a fever, which may or may not have been due to childbirth. We don't actually know, but it's a possibility that she did give birth to a child and then she and the child died in prison. There's no real word of Anne after this. This is what's fascinating about, I mean, lots of things are fascinating about Anne, but uh, it is interesting that we have no record of her death. She apparently didn't die in jail alongside Mary, but we actually don't know what happened to her after that. Yep, there are rumors that uh, maybe she returned to the Carolinas, got married again, had babies, lived to the age of 84. There are some rumors that 
you know, she died elsewhere very shortly after, but she kind of drops off the map. Yep. We don't really know where she goes. Hopefully she had a long and enjoyable life. Cause maybe she went and found another another pirate lady. Yeah, Who maybe. Knows? Yeah, it's possible. Maybe she found one named Max. Sorry, oh. that's, a, that's a Black Sails reference. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't watch Black Sails, and Gretchen oh, keeps telling me to. It's so good. Uh, Max Ann is my favorite. Anyway, so <laughs> speaking of pirate ladies who may be like other ladies, we're going to now transition to our next section. Why is it that we think that this group? of people might not have been straight and we're going to start that off with a little bit we're going to do a little bit of a general discussion of history and the golden age of piracy and that will really kind of set the tone for why it is that we come to the conclusions that we do about Anne and Jack and Mary and Pierre I mean but I mean Pierre yeah he's Pierre (laughs) (laughs) but just like full stop just like, yeah, come on, Pierre. Yeah, you don't really have to say anything. You just have to call him Pierre the Pansy Pirate, and you're like, oh, okay, right, no, but I, I got this, I got this, yeah. But yeah, a little bit of history. So this is the golden age of piracy, and this is an era in which seafaring life didn't quite line up with what was being brought down as edicts from from British royalty in that seafaring life was kind of free of restrictions. It ran ran as its kind of own sort of society, especially pirates who lived on the margins outside of main society. Right. Like a lot of the pirates, um, contrary to their, I mean, piracy has existed for a very long time. The piracy that we see in like the, the 16th century was very much done like for like monetary reasons. So you would typically have pirates who had like a family back home that like they were pirates so that they could support their family. But in what we call the golden age of piracy, at least in on the European side of things, pirates didn't really have close ties to home or family on the mainland. They were very much kind of the rejects or cast offs like the they were the fringes of society. So they didn't really have a lot of strong connections to like British society as a whole or even specifically to like family ties at home we saw with mary reed that once her husband died and her inn failed she went to sea and at that point she literally had nothing tying her to the mainland i mean and even with Anne bonnie granted she her family literally went up in flames because she she put them there um (laughs) um but she then didn't have any ties to society either and that kind of seems to have been the norm for pirates in the golden age that they didn't really have a lot of ties to to the shore or even Europe they were they were pretty exclusively in the Caribbean and they didn't really have you know go back home you know home in quotes as the British kingdom they didn't really go back they just kind of stayed in the area it also seems to very much have been a, a space of potential freedom for women kind of as you mentioned earlier yeah absolutely i mean There's a lot of discussion about how throughout their lives, these female pirates had a pattern of, quote, switching genders when it most suited them. You know, both Mary Reed and Anne Bonny adapted to their environments when they were on the mainland and they were married to men and they were running businesses and doing all of those sorts of things. They assumed this more feminine gender. They would dress as women. They would dress in in dresses and petticoats and all of that. Um, And then they would appear, you know, they were appearing as boys to escape poverty. They would, you know, anytime that they were pulled back into a situation where they would have to conform to the norms of British society, they, British society or 
you know, the surrounding area, they escaped out onto the sea, drawn perhaps into that by this lightning of of conventions. Um, yeah, because even the even the way that they you know escape, I guess you could call it an escape. They're being hanged is to appeal to their status as women and specifically motherhood, mm-hmm. which is interesting, especially because someone like Anne Bonny, who we know had a child previously that she, you know, had in Cuba and then left in the care of others, that she was not a, does not seem to have been a specifically maternal person. But when she's operating within British society, it's like, oh, yeah, right. I, I'm a woman and I'm pregnant. Don't kill me. Um, and that's not to pass any kind of judgment. It's just that seems to be the way that these women operated was when they're in contact and in relationship to British society, they tend to play on kind of their more feminine traits. In other situations, we might call this kind of thing code switching, which is typically used in linguistics to talk about because I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a linguist. Um, so code switching to when you change kind of the, the way that you talk, depending on your audience that this is a kind of like gendered code switching, not done, I think, out of malicious intent, but really just out of a level of necessity in that, you know, when you're operating in British society, they were they were women. And so they would, you know, use like use behaviors and, and, and things like that associated more with their with femininity. And then when they were at sea, which would have been considered a more, you know, I guess, masculine sphere, they were more likely to, as you say, wear men's clothes, you know, do kind of hard labor, the kinds of things expected of men. And yet we also kind of know that Mary and Anne don't seem to have always specifically hidden the fact that they were women while dressing as men. So that, I mean, that kind of tells us that that life at sea for these, at least these two specific women, seem to have given them like a freedom to exist outside of their society's structures of masculinity and femininity. Absolutely. Yeah. And that extends also to sexuality, which is, you know, what we're here primarily to talk about. Um, so there were, you know, there's a really great article that we read where the, the author explains uh, pirates as being largely poor, multicultural rebels who spat on the order that governments sought to establish through tyranny and oppression, saying that they flouted the standard perceptions regarding class, race, nationality, and even government. There were no fixed categories for a pirate's identity, right? So we may have very, you know, specific notions like we talked about in our introduction about you know what it what gay and what straight means um but there are a lot of things to say that that on on these ships all those kind of things got cast aside right because the facets of one's identity weren't as important as the purpose that you served on deck on ship like your your what was important on a on a sailing vessel was what could you contribute to the running of the ship not your your race or your gender or your religion or things like that, which isn't to say that all of those things kind of, not to put like a modern lens of just say like, oh, those things were dismissed, but there does seem to be a level in which what the, the most important thing about you was like your role on the ship and what you could offer to the crew in terms of your skills and, and talents and things like that. Yeah, that same author, her name is uh, Christine Hernandez, mentions interestingly just on that on that vein that just as their peers, so just as Anne and Mary's peers changed their national loyalties at will, which is something that pirates would do, so these women seemed to change their genders. So there seems that like life at sea seemed to have more of a like fluid dynamic, unfixed. By fluid, I mean unfixed. That pirates were, you know, could be used as mercenaries, could be hired as mercenaries, and they weren't really beholden to any one like 
nation, state, or whatever. Um, and the same seems to be true in terms of gender for, for women like Mary and Anne, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's some other really cool stuff from um, an author called B.R. Berg that in his book, Sodomy and the Pirate Tradition. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Lee? Yeah, so this guy actually suggests that the vast majority of pirates were what we would consider homosexual. And although there isn't really enough evidence to support this, uh, nevertheless, to indulge in these things, a pirate colony was probably just about the safest place that you could be in order to be yourself outside of society's norms. We compared it a lot to, um, you know, like situational gayness or like a vaquero kind of situation where this is this is just the way things may have been on ships because you are outside of the, you know, the realm of, of tyranny of a government. Yeah. Did, do you want to talk a little bit about Tortuga? Oh, Tortuga. <laughs> so um, Louis de Golif, we're sorry if we butcher any of these names. Weird. We're, we're Americans. We're not French. We're not French. I don't know how to pronounce that. So in uh, his book, Memoirs of a Buccaneer, he actually complained about the homosexuality on Tortuga, where he had to fight two duels to keep ardent suitors at bay. And in fact, it does seem like homosexuality was a, um, I guess you could call it a problem. Um, <laughs> I don't see it as a problem. But um, seems to have been, I guess, for the governors there who would have been from um, the more rigid societies of you know, France and Spain and England in the Caribbean colonies. So in 1645, the French government of Tortuga shipped in a bunch of prostitutes. They were basically, they believed that, that the people there were being too gay. And so we're like, oh, I guess we'll give them prostitutes. Maybe that will make them not be homosexual anymore. Surprise! Everyone <laughs> had threesomes. <laughs> yep. Everybody, uh, Yeah. Everybody just decided, oh, look, more folks to have a good time with. So there's right. there's something uh, there was something already going on in this society that could not just be, you know, quote, neutralized by the introduction of women. It wasn't necessarily a, well, I guess we'll be gay because there are no women around. Right. Because um, clearly when women were introduced into this this situation, everybody just decided to have a really good time. Yeah, they were like, well, I guess we're, I guess we like both. The mm -hmm. more the merrier. And this, this is significant, especially because we know from like court cases and, and trial logs that homosexuality was actually heavily condemned, uh, specifically in the British Royal Navy. There were, um, they were punished very heavily for it. Um, according to author, I believe, David Cordingly says, considering how the Navy cooped up thousands of young men for months on end without access to women, it is surprising how few homosexual incidents resulted in prosecutions. One can only conclude that homosexuality was either overlooked, was not reported because of savage punishments, or was very rare. Those are his options. So we know that there are cases where, like, and I say cases as in, like, court cases, where sailors would have been prosecuted for what they would have called, you know, buggering, which is sodomy mm -hmm. basically gay sex and like his conclusion given that there's you know there's fewer than one would expect um but we also know based on the court cases that we do have that that the punishments were quite severe so it seems that it is well it seems likely that there may have been cases that weren't reported 
because they didn't want to get punished for it. It also seems to be the case that a lot of the reportage punishments that we have in British society seem to involve a layer of abuse, like a captain with a young boy, like a captain with a cabin boy. So it may also be that there was more room for punishment when there was a layer of oppression in the situation and that, you know, a more mutual relationship between like two adult males um, even in the British Navy might not have been so heavily condoned that what they were really worried about was was abusive relationships. And so that's what's punished. But we do the thing to, to get out of this, you know, regardless of where one falls with all that evidence is that it was punished in the Royal Navy, maybe not to a degree that we would expect, but there were punishment for it. So the lack of restriction of any kind in pirate codes to me is telling. Because we do have actual pirate codes, so they're like codes of conduct. In none of them that we have, is there any kind of restriction or any kind of recorded punishment then of homosexuality? It just, it's not there. This doesn't seem to be something that they need, felt the need to have any kind of rule about. And given that this was something that there were rules about in the societies that they came from, to me, that seems like pretty good evidence that, you know, this was probably fairly, if not normal, then at least acceptable. I mean, yeah, there's there's not just a giant gap in right. in what is recorded as acceptable practice, right? And we, I mean, we even have evidence of, I mean, what people have called pirate marriage, which is uh, called matelotage, which is where two men, and I say men, we say men in this situation because the vast majority of them were women, like Anne and Mary, were the exception. Um, though maybe not, I mean, maybe not. Um, there may have been more awesome ladies who who disguised themselves as men that we just don't have their stories. But Maitalatage, back to that, two men would hold all things in common. It would have probably been for inheritance purposes. But we happen to think that it's possible that it, I mean, could have been for romantic reasons. We don't see any need to assume that, you know, in legal documents of, you know, inheritance and joint holdings that there's no love involved because hey guess what we have something in our society where people uh have a legal binding contract where they own things together and if one of them dies the other person gets their stuff and hey a lot of the time they love each other what what so um <laughs> the very sarcastic explanation is my way of saying I think that it's a very high likelihood that Maitalatage, where it occurred, that there would at least some of it was out of love, that they were in a romantic relationship with each other. Some of them even had wives in common. I mean, three cheers for Polly Pirates, man. Um, so yeah, so now, now that we've rambled on about all of the context that's going on at this period in history about how... The lines of gender and sexuality and class dynamics are all kind of a little bit of a blur in piratical society. Um, let's bring it back to to our friends that we're discussing here, right? Um, and talk a little bit about uh, more about the context of these specific folks and our own reasonings as to why we think that they are queer. The majority of which we're going to get into with the relationship between Mary and Anne. Right. With with Pierre, I mean, we're just going to we're just going to say it here like do we need to say anything other than he's called Pierre the Pansy Pirate and in the source material and he ran a hair and dressmaking shop. Right. I mean, like yeah. Yeah. 
Again, um, again, we don't we don't <laughs> approve of stereotypes and and also sometimes they're accurate. Yeah. Based out of truth. We say this with love. Yes. Pierre is is beloved uh among these these podcast hosts. Yes. So yeah, Calico Jack. Calico Jack seems to have like his friend Pierre, um had a fondness for splashy waistcoats, bright ribbons and gaudy calico pattern breeches that's actually where he gets his name calico jack rackham is because of the uh very brightly colored heavily patterned clothes that he liked to wear and according to one of our sources as i briefly mentioned earlier it has been suggested that calico jack may have come to new providence as the paramour as well as the quartermaster to captain Vane. and the i mean the third so that's i mean that's two bits of evidence the third for us is is that queers tend to come in packs Mm. right like, yeah. we tend to find each other and hang out together. So if Pierre is, I mean, gay, and as we will get into with Mary and Anne, they seem to have a very, they seem to like each other very much. Seems not quite as likely that the fourth member of the pair would be entirely straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, we just, um, I, unless you want to, you know, introduce the token straight of the group. But let's be real. Yeah, queer people. We travel in packs. We do not exist as the sole character, the sole queer character, on a television show nope. surrounded by the straights. No, nope. right, right. I mean, and like, yeah, as, I mean, your as your favorite pirate raid shows. I mean, Pierre and Jack and Anne loved drama. They're like they're they're pretty extra people. I don't I don't know. But that's all we have for for calico jack now we're going to get into mary and Anne, the main event yeah mary reed and Anne bonnie oh they met and had instant attraction with one another yeah instant attraction um this is this is the meat of of what we're talking about oh yeah tell us about this instant attraction so when Anne Bonnie and Rackham took over the ship that Mary Reed found herself on when she was first, quote, captured by pirates, which, you know, she went pretty willingly. <laughs> it's true. You she know, did. they asked, yeah. they, they asked, you know, hey, you could either become a prisoner or you can join the crew. And she was like, yeah, I will think I'll do that. Yeah. Direct quote. Um, but no, so there's, it says in, in one of our sources that there was, quote, a handsome, clean-cut man who caught the roving eye of Anne Bonny and admired the sailor's skill and daring. The shipboard friendship became a strong attraction, especially for Anne. She decided to reveal her identity only to discover that the object of her desire was holding the same secret. End quote. That, I think, is so fascinating. Each of them became attracted to one another in the guise of men and then found out that they were both women and they were each other's confidant. They, they decided to keep each other's secrets. And so we've got this really interesting thing at play where it feels like there's just multi-layers of queerness, right? right? You're you're doing this thing where you are supposed to be disguising yourself as a man, but you're finding yourself inexplicably attracted to this other person. And they, you know, were deciding to go for it. And then trying to figure out how to navigate this friendship, they needed to reveal their identity. They were fast friends. They were constantly seen together aboard the ship. They fought side by side, back to back. They were pretty much mm-hmm. inseparable. Mm-hmm. According to Johnson, Mary Reed's sex was not so much suspected by any person on board. So no one on the ship knew that Mary Reed was, that Mark Reed was actually Mary Reed. 
till Anne Bonny, who was not altogether so reserved in point of chastity, took a particular liking to her. And that's like our favorite thing. I mean, it's super judgy, like it's super patriarchal and judgy, but I love it. <laughs> not yeah. altogether so reserved in point of chastity. Basically just saying that, that Anne likes Anne likes her sex. Yeah. She Anne like- Bonny is a it's a, f- it's a free-loving woman. Yep. She enjoys herself a lot and really liked what she saw with Mark Reed. And gee, how interesting that, that Mark Reed actually ended up being Mary Reed. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm. remember that, as Lee mentioned earlier, part of Anne's early story was that she left the, the people she first met, left her husband, James Bonney, for was actually a Captain Jennings and his mistress. So Anne Bonney is not altogether unfamiliar with, with ladies. She seems yes. to have to have had a relationship with a woman previously, or at least at least tangentially, yes. you know, as yeah. in in being in some sort of unconventional arrangement, right? In which there was another woman. Yeah. So apparently, ja- um, Anne and Mary were such good friends that Jack got jealous because at this point, Jack did not realize that Mark was Mary. Yeah, super super jealous. Captain Calico Jack got so jealous of Anne's affection for Mark that he threatened to cut her new lover's throat, uh, mm. quote, to, therefore to quiet him, she let him into the secret also. So it wasn't until Jack was like, hey, hold on, wait a minute, my lady is looking at this other dude, and that makes me a little squirrely. I'm going to kill this guy because he's taking my woman. And then she's like, wait, no, hold on. It's, it's, hold on, it's fine. She's a lady also. It, it's totally cool. We're all right. Yeah, yeah, um, the, the story, according to Johnson, was that Jack Rackham burst into the cabin one day with the intent of killing Reed in his mind, and Rackham discovered Mary stretched out on the bed before Anne, not entirely clothed and visibly a woman. Mm-hmm. Which, again, love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> not entirely yeah. clothed and visibly a woman. It's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of my favorites in this. But Oh, man, their story is yeah. so great. Yeah. There's a, um, the, the, the same guy that we keep referencing, Richter Norton, uh, a historian who's worked a lot in, in looking into this kind of queerness element of, of Anne and Mary's relationship. He mentions specifically that a lot of historians me- view this moment as Anne having just ripped off Mary's clothing just moments before. For some reason, <laughs> there's there's no explanation as to what the reason was, um, but that she had just now discovered her, quote, true gender. Um, but he thinks that this is probably unlikely, right? Like, these two women had been so intimate for far too long. They shared such a rough lifestyle that, like, th- there was there was no way that at that point they had not been fully acquainted with one another's gender. Right. Yeah. Like, that's... That to me is such a like gal pal. Like, oh no! Like Anne had totally just accidentally uncovered the fact that that Mary was a woman right then too. Like Jack oh, no. just conveniently bursts in right when Mary's naked for totally non sexy reasons. Yeah, you just you're just naked in your bedchamber. It's fine. Right, right. With I know that best right best gal pal. Right, I totally just hang out with my best gal pal. Vis- you know, not entirely clothed and visibly a woman, just all the time. You're just like, I totally have completely naked baths with my platonic gal pal in ancient Greece. See, it's the right, same totally. thing. Totally, yeah. 
just they were they were just really good friends and real good friends and Anne just happened just just then happened to uncover the truth how convenient for jack to bust in right then Mm -hmm. yeah if you can't tell we think that's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) yeah just just a little bit yeah and and i thought it was really interesting too that even even beyond the relationship of Anne and mary there was another point later in which mary ended up falling for another man a navigator who was on a ship that they captured and they became messmates and strict companions until she again revealed to him that she was a woman when she found she had a friendship for her as a or when she found he had a friendship for her as a man she suffered the discovery to be made by carelessly showing her breasts which were very white um so this weird kind of blurring of gender and attraction continues with everyone that they are interacting with and there's a whole lot at play right i mean and and that's not even i feel like people don't realize the implications of jack getting jealous that like for jack mm. to have gotten jealous of what he perceived of as being affection between Anne and who he presumed to be a man like for that to cause so much jealousy that he was willing or wanted to kill this you know presumably male friend it can't have been entirely friendly like it couldn't have just been like a casual like hey we just enjoy hanging out with each other because i mean jack was ready to kill mary because he especially well especially if you think about you know if you put it in the context of uh, of of there really having been no possibility that Anne and Mary did not already know each other's secret by right. this point. Right. So he like he's getting jealous of an intimacy between what he thinks of as, you know, his girlfriend and another man. Like but they have a like such a strong intimacy. There's no way they didn't know each other's secret. And it's to the point that to an outside observer, they look like it looked to him like to use colloquial terms that that Anne was cheating on him. Like if that's his perception, chances are they weren't just friends. They weren't just gal pals. Weren't just weren't just gal pals or as it were, I guess, gal and mysterious <laughs> lover. Pals. Right. I mean they yeah. She's naked in her cabin. I feel like again, yeah. that just like you don't usually get naked in someone's cabin unless unless something's happening. Absolutely. Um, All right. So so to wrap up, now that we've talked for I don't even know how long anymore. We'll find out when we edit this. Um, <laughs> but so we want to kind of wrap things up with our general thoughts and impressions on our kind of how gay were they scale. Right. And and we may in the future find that our our own perceptions deviate from one another. But I think this week, Gretchen and I found ourselves um, pretty pretty lined right, up right yeah we didn't really have any differences really i mean pierre as we keep saying he's a 10 out of 10 like we're pretty damn sure <laughs> yeah. pretty damn sure when it comes to jack we were both kind of in the middle on that one yeah four out of ten five yep. out of ten like for me it was like fancy you know fancy clothes don't always make the man and although like some sources say he might be vain's lover i just like to me what it comes down to is like the fact that he hung around with so many people who are much more probably queer is suspicious because as we say we tend to come in packs so there's very little about his actual story that we can kind of hang that on it has a lot more to do with like inference just based on who he's hanging out with yeah i'm really interested to see if 
you know, in the annals of history, if anything else comes up with Captain mm-hmm. Vane, right? right. Um, and also, I'm just really fascinated by his initial attraction to Anne mm-hmm. Bonny, um, because she was also disguising herself as a man. So how did this right. come about? How did this situation come about where she felt like she needed to, you know, needed to reveal herself as a woman, unless there had been some sort of attraction between mm-hmm. them? And then, and then by revealing herself, she would, you know, legitimize it as a more heterosexual right. thing. I think of it kind of as like a, you know, Li Shang, Mulan mm, situation, right. right? Like, like, okay, we all know, you know, Li Shang was totally into Mulan, but he thought he, Mulan that was a du- she was right? a dude. So like, little bit, you know, leaning towards some hints of, you know, what we would call bisexuality right Right, yeah no that's a really good point and as we've seen like this this is a running theme for both of these women both of these women had relationships um i mean mary it happened twice where she had a relationship with a man and you know there seemed to be a level of attraction there and then she was like oh wait i'm a lady so yeah there's there's something to that with with jack potentially yep mm-hmm. yep mary and Anne. i think we were both pretty much on the same page for that like this is the reason why we right. wanted to do this episode and even one of the original episodes we want one of the original ideas we had for the podcast in general one of the one of the first people that we kind of pinged on is there's so much about them and their their relationship between their adventures together and how much of a tight unit they were how much they you know balked it at everybody else's cowardice and being captured Mm -hmm. together and just that part about being walked in on in in bed naked and they're yeah the fact that they were inseparable right after casually leaving Mm -hmm. so many other lovers right they they were so dismissive of all of their paramours and yet the only thing that separated them was being actually physically separated by the justice system. Right. right. Yep. According to one of our sources, Norton again says that evidence of their homosexuality is not so clear cut as, you know, we historians might wish. At most, they were bisexual, which I think is fairly clear that they're definitely not strictly lesbians. Both of them have, you know, relationships with men. Uh, but in any case, we have to take into account the fact that Anne and Mary's their dismissive treatment of their lovers, of their male paramours, uh, even their children in Anne's case. She, you know, drops her kid off in Cuba. Their obvious enjoyment of their cross-dressing and the fact that they acted together as a couple and obviously loved one another. So the evidence suggests that they must have been relevant, you know, that their experience is relevant to a history of, you know, the lesbian or, you know, to broaden the term, the, the woman-loving woman or sapphic experience, that they are very much relevant to that because it is interesting that they were much more dismissive of their male paramours than they were of each other. I mean, it seems that once they met, they are the running theme. Like, <laughs> they stick together like glue in a way that neither one of them stuck with their um their male lovers. So yeah, we I mean, we'd probably put them at an 8 or a 9. Like I I can't definitely say like yes, they are, but I'm pretty damn sure. <laughs> I would be highly surprised. Yeah, I mean as 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 sure as you can be in a situation where you're dealing with people from hundreds of years ago and there's very few primary sources right. that say a lot of these things. But the fact that those very few primary sources have very telling passages mm-hmm. in them that speak to 
literal attraction and their very close relationship. Right. So, I mean, that just about wraps it up. Uh, the last thing I'll say before we offer some other concluding thoughts is that um, if you happen to agree with us that Mary and Anne were uh, very likely not straight, um, and that maybe Jack might have had his leanings too, uh, you should definitely watch Black Sails. I, it does come with trigger warnings for, for violence and some other things like that. Like, I can't unabashedly uh, um, or unreservedly I should say endorse it because it is fairly violent but the one thing I will say and Bonnie is definitely by as fuck there's definitely <laughs> pretty sure that Jack had probably had an unacknowledged thing for Vane even there and Mary slash Mark Reed shows up in the finale in the what I call the fan service of fan service it's pretty awesome it's a very 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 queer friendly show (laughs) there are other queer pirates max is my personal favorite she's one of um she is a sex worker who like sex worker turned woman of power she's also a woman of color uh she has a relationship with Anne. it's beautiful and amazing plus one of the main messages is choosing love and resisting an oppressive society which uh seems actually to fit in very well with some of the stuff we said earlier about the history of the time period um, and pirates kind of living on the margins. So if you like queer pirates and want to watch a show that has queer pirates, Black Sails is a show with queer pirates. I just have to get that plug in because it's... Well, you're really, you're like really it's going for such that, a good uh, show. You're really going for that endorsement. Yes. I, I am in no way paid by stars. I, I wish I were. Like, yeah, stars, hey, stars. Pays. Do you want to give me some money for the fact that I love your show and tell people to watch it? <laughs> <laughs> All three people are going to l- listen to this this first episode. Um, so anyway, yeah, final final thoughts. We were both really compelled by the performance of gender expectations and queerness of Anne and Mary falling in love, thinking the other was a man, only for them to both be women. Uh, so there's they're they're more than likely queer in more ways than one that kind of multi-layered right and we may even it's we had such a really good discussion when we were planning this episode that we may even circle back around to this kind of idea of gender performance in the 18th century british maritime society um because there are some other like female sailors for whom this running theme seems to fit and it's just a really interesting idea because as much as we you know we also we really want to talk about people in history who had who would fall kind of on the the sexual orientation spectrum of attraction but also um we're very we're also very much interested in in gender and the way that gender has you know hasn't always been binary and the way that societies kind of have some societies have had more room for alternate expressions of gender than what we seem to have in our society now um and also the ways in which people who you know live in these societies with with binary gender kind of inhabit and kind of play with gender as a concept in their experience as we see with mary and Anne. so we definitely want to circle back around to that at some point we just didn't have time to cover that today so hopefully that means you guys will keep listening because we have more things to talk about. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So that's it for today's episode. You can find us online individually. Lee, why don't you tell them where, where you can be found? So when I'm not nerding out about old-timey queer folks, I'm usually talking about comics and queer TV over at A Paradox in Flux on Twitter and crying about Xena episodes on my couch. And once again, I'm Gretchen. And when I am not talking about gay history, I am writing nerdy media analysis and probably fangirling over Star Wars, Steven Universe, Wynonna Herb at thefandamentals.com. 
My personal website is gnellis.com, uh, or you can find me on Tumblr and Twitter as uh, gnelliswriter, all one word. History is Gay Podcast can be found on Tumblr at History is Gay Podcast, Twitter at History is Gay Pod, and you can always drop us a line with questions, suggestions, or just to say hi at History is Gay Podcast at gmail.com. And our website is historyisgaypodcast.com, where you can find all of our show notes and our list of resources in case you want to check those out for yourself. We also want to say that if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to hear more, you should subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That'll get people to see the show, and hopefully we'll get a nice community going here. And that's it for History is Gay. Until next time, stay queer, stay curious. Thank you.